Tonight we're in John chapter 6, as we continue the red letters of John, or the red letters of, of Jesus actually recorded in John. John 6, verses 16 through 21, very appropriate passage to be in, particularly with the, the, the Starks news that I just heard about yesterday, I think, and uh, you'll see what I mean when I read this, this passage. This is a beautiful passage. John 6, verses 16 through 21. Before I read that, just a reminder, because this is a, a story too, this really happened just to set up the stage. This is after Jesus fed the, the 5,000, which as you may recall, that's just the men. So there's, there were women and children there too that Jesus miraculously fed on this hillside. Uh, a lot of people there. And right after that, they, they tried to, by force, make Jesus king, make him some sort of, well, they are worldly king. And verse 15 says, when Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. It's interesting that instead of being a king, Jesus preferred contemplation, meditation with with God. And this is where we pick up that story. So verse 16. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because of a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. And they were terrified. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they wanted to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat reached the land toward which they were going. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray now that we would meet you in, through your word. But may your word just shine a light on the incarnate word who is alive and within us even. Help us to especially to hear and to experience and feel what it's like to not be afraid. Give us that power, Holy Spirit, no matter who we are, no matter where we come from, no matter why we're here, I, I pray that you would do this work. In Jesus' name, amen. Fear. I have a very intimate relationship with fear, as I'm sure we all do to, you know, one degree or another. Mine is, is somewhat uh, chemical as well. Uh, I have this mental illness called OCD. OCD is a, an anxiety disorder. I think mine's relatively mild. M most uh, well, OCD, a lot of the pub is sort of surrounds the external compulsions that people have, you know, and we think of people that like have to can wash their hands repeatedly. That's a real thing. And that can be debilitating or, or, you know, they have to always be checking the locks, you know, that kind of thing. We kind of, we tend to, we tend to think of OCD in those terms, but actually there's also what some people call pure O. There's the, there are these, there's OCD that's primarily internal compulsions, so, so that, that kind of like always checking the knob to see if it's, the door is locked is going on inside someone. 
and particularly around a certain fear that they might have. There's a bedrock fear that will cause people like myself to enter into these thought spirals. They're irrational. Uh, you can't get out. You, you, you try to, every, every, the more you try to rationalize, rationalize with this fear, the, the, the deeper you go. <laughs> and I learned about this after I um, ended up in the hospital. I learned I had, I knew, I knew I was messed up. I knew I had something going on in me my whole life. But when I ended up in the hospital after my heart had stopped seven, eight years ago, the cardiologist afterwards began to piece together, oh, this is emotional stress. This is not physical stress. I actually was the healthiest I've ever been, probably. I was running 30 miles a week. I was like, my heart was even fine. But, but the cardiologist connected that um, the emotional stress of this storm inside here had basically wore down my natural pacemaker called a, a sinus node, and it was shot. And so my heart was bottoming out. It was stopping and did stop, and they caught it on, on a heart monitor. And that's when I began to piece together more about who I am after coming home from that and started getting therapy and started to begin to sort of piece together this puzzle. Oh, I have OCD. This is, there's actually a, a, that was freeing actually to learn, to have a name for what was going on inside of me, these, ex, these internal compulsions. I began to work with a therapist trying to pinpoint what the bedrock fear that I'm so afraid of within me, and this is it for me. Not that uncommon. It's the fear of disconnection or abandonment because I've done something wrong. It's this fear then that quickly within me quickly goes from did I do something wrong to I am wrong. And that, that's a very dangerous shift to go from, I did something wrong to, oh, I and my whole being am wrong. <laughs> and, and this can send me into depressive states. Through a, a lot of hard work, honestly, inner work with a therapist and whatnot, I, I'm responding to that pathology better. I don't, the, the, what I, I call them pits, sort of these pits of despair. And, you know, most of y'all know this about me. I'm, I'm letting you in to, to what's really here. I'm pretty good at hiding it. And, but through a lot of work, I can, I've gotten to the place where these pits are fewer and far in between. And even when I, when I sink into them, these depressive states, I don't stay there as long. And I'm very thankful for all this. But I, I entered into one of these last week that kind of lingered. And into this week, lasted about seven days, and I was dealing with this, with these internal compulsions, and I needed to hear that my fear was wrong. Now, I, I'm not saying I'm wrong, I or you are wrong to be afraid, but what my fear was telling me, that was wrong. Last week, I started listening to this new album by Mason Jennings. There's a, a singer-songwriter type who's, who sings about a lot of spiritual things. I think he's Buddhist, and he's coming to Asheville, and so I was researching the next concert I want to go to, and he has a new album out, and I was listening to that album, and he has this song called Fear is Wrong. 
Again, I'm not saying you're wrong to be afraid. That's not what I'm saying. But fear shows up, and most of what fear tells us is wrong. This song is all about that. Listen to just a snippet. He sings, fear is dark like no moon in the park where it waits for me. Fear is smart. It pulls logic apart and spins plates for me. I don't want to be a slave to it, dig my plot and grave for it, build its pyramids in Egypt, transport vampires on its ship. Just sell on, sell on, fear. And here's the chorus, fear is wrong. Fear is wrong again. Life goes on like nothing's happening. Just a song for an old lost friend that plays on. Fear once again is wrong. I needed to hear that. I'm sure you're in that place too where you need to hear that what fear is telling you is wrong. Particularly when you begin to think that I am wrong. As I heard just today from James Finley, this is sweet. Listen to this. He said, I'm not what's wrong with me. You are not what's wrong with you, okay? When fear descends into that messaging, please know it's wrong. Here's the main teaching. What we fear, it's not all bad. Fear is trying to actually help you in a way. But it, 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 when it begins to tyrannize us, uh, we, we don't need to listen to all that it says, but there's some of what it says that's good. And here's the weird thing. What we fear actually, that thing that we fear may be exactly what we need. What it's saying about that thing is what is wrong. What we fear actually may be exactly what we need, but the message fear communicates to us about that thing is what is wrong. So two headings, what fear says and where fear is wrong. What fear says. First of all, if you were a Jew in Jesus's day, one thing you would have been terrified of is water. Well, the, the ocean or the sea, large bodies of water. Jewish people were not seafaring people. Their enemies, the Philistines were, the Phoenicians were. So in scripture, this is important to note, the sea actually becomes a symbol for evil, for chaos. And so when you get to Revelation and there's this vision of a new heaven, a new earth with, with no sea, it doesn't mean that we have to put our boats away. It means there's no evil, no chaos. So here's the scene. You have this huge lake. The disciples that Jesus called, these were blue-collar fishermen. They actually would have been one of the few Jews who were okay with the sea. They, they would have been courageous enough and used to the sea, they get out on a boat. They're on this large body of water. They're not afraid of the sea, I don't think, at this point. But we're meant to get into the scene and to be thinking, though, of things that you might be afraid of. Whether, whatever, let's say the sea symbolizes whatever that thing is for you. That's where these disciples are. They're, they begin to, they're in this space, out on this body of water, they fear that there might be evil around, chaos. And then we get to verse 19. Look at verse 19 again. Then the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. That's 18. And then verse 19. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus 
walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were terrified. So what happens when the thing that you're most afraid of, all of a sudden you see someone walking on top of it? <laughs> like totally, clearly this person is in charge. This person can control the wind and the waves. You might be afraid of the ocean. Well, now you're t even more terrified of whoever this individual is that has this kind of power, you see. This is not normal to see someone walking on the water. They, they don't know it's Jesus. They just see this figure approaching on top of the evil, the chaos, on top of the water, and they are terrified, it says. Here's what fear tells us. This is what the fear was telling the disciples in this boat. First of all, fear says that uncertainty is always and only dangerous. Uncertainty, you, you see something, you don't know what it is. Fear says, be afraid. Uncertainty is always dangerous. It's always and only dangerous. That's the first thing that fear says it is wrong. It's wrong. But we feel that, don't we? Uh, we, we, we? Anything, we encounter something that's uncertain, we immediately assume that it's dangerous. Something else fear tells us that's wrong is it says if it's new, be suspicious. <laughs> if you can't control it, in other words, be afraid. Fear is wrong, though, with this figure approaching them. They, it was uncertain what was happening. This was new to them, but fear was wrong to say that what was approaching them was danger or that what was approaching them they should be suspicious of. Fear really says this, and this is what, you know, scientists, anthropologists, psychoanalysts, sociologists tell us, is that our bedrock fear as human beings is, is death. And for some of us, maybe it's subconscious, but our ultimate bedrock fear is a fear of death. And so fear shows up and, you know, freaks out and tells us two things. Panic. What you need to do is panic <laughs> because this thing will kill you. And this is what's going on inside of us. But friends, fear is wrong. It's wrong. Not everything, like I said, that fear has to tell us is all bad. Think, think of this. Um, we've had so many bears in our neighborhood this year, like more than ever. I'm, I'm somewhat used to bears now, but I used to not be. Whenever, whenever I'd see a big black bear approaching, the survival instinct would kick in. I mean, the fear would ramp up, and, and I would be feeling these things. Oh, this thing that looked cute from... 30 yards away can actually kill me, and it's coming toward me. Panic, be afraid, because you're about to die. This is what's going on inside of me, right? Now, fear is right in saying there's potential danger, but where it gets distorted and twisted is when that fear begins again, once again, to tyrannize us, to dominate us, at that point, we lose sense of rationality, and we do what my parents did one time. The first time I encountered a bear was in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park many years ago, well before we moved here. It was before we had kids. Jennifer and I were new, newlyweds, 
and I was with my parents, and I got them lost in the park, and I heard what sounded like a Mack truck coming through the forest, and it was two full-grown, this is weird, two male bears together that entered the trail and began walking toward me, and I was able to kind of like keep my wits about me, and and I, I went back to my parents, and I said, bears are coming. And what they did, they did the opposite of what you're supposed to do. They began climbing a tree, this down tree. If you know, y'all know this, right? You're not supposed to do that. And so, okay, fear went from potential danger to then completely terrorizing my poor family because of me. And they began climbing the tree, which, of course, a bear could climb and actually kill them. But the part that's good about that is when fear says there's potential danger. But fear is wrong when it begins to say, well, even that you're going to die. So this is what the gospel tells us. We, we just don't believe it. Let, let's say, let's go with worst case scenario, which fear normally is preparing us by taking us oftentimes, especially people like me, to worst case scenario. Let's say death. Well, the gospel tells us that death has been abolished. So even the worst case scenario, according to the gospel, is no longer true. I, I mean that. that. That's at least what the gospel is communicating. Even when it comes to death, fear is wrong. It's a bold claim. We just don't, and we don't really believe that. But what if it's true? What if even our worst fear has been taken care of, which is what the Bible tells us. It's what the gospel proclaims. Well, if your worst fear is taken care of, well, then you can begin to actually dialogue with your fears in a healthy way. And this is something that I've been learning for many years now with my therapist. Then we begin to listen to the scripture and take to heart when some 365 times in the Bible we're told, be not afraid. There's nothing, there's actually, here's the good news, there's actually nothing to fear. It's a ghost. It doesn't exist. Yes, for each day of the year, that's probably not a coincidence, we're told that. Once you begin to incrementally believe that, then you can begin to actually talk to fear. You can begin to tame your fears, in fact. You can befriend your fears. Remember, fear, like any emotion, it's not all bad. It's there to protect you. It's when it begins to tyrannize us and take over that we get off. There's a book out there that I've I've read called um, Feed the Wolf, that the subtitle is Befriending Our Fears in the way of St. Francis. And I know Jimmy knows this book too, big St. Francis of Assisi fan. But there's this parable, the the book is titled after this, what may have been a true story, maybe not, about St. Francis in the 13th century. He was in this little village in Italy that was being terrorized by a a wolf. And this wolf was showing up and, and was just absolutely striking fear into the heart of this village. And so whenever there's violence, the tendency for us is to fight violence with violence, right? And so this village thought, well, we have to kill the wolf in order to stop its tyranny over us. And St. Francis said, well, actually, what if the wolf is just hungry? 
And St. Francis, as the story goes, began to feed the wolf. And eventually the wolf was domesticated. It became tame, became a friend to the village. St. Francis called it Brother Wolf. No doubt Brother Wolf, the animal shelter here in Asheville, surely is thinking of that with that, that title of their shelter. And what we're learning, well, what the thing I think to learn about this parable is your fear, my fear, when you begin to talk to it, it's actually trying to communicate a real need, an actual need that we have. Once we remove what is wrong about the messaging of that fear, we can begin to actually communicate with what's really going on. We can befriend our fear in that way. The gospel is meant to do this so that we can, I mean, the gospel once again has removed our greatest fear. So now that we can begin dialoguing with our fears, we can talk to it. My therapist actually encouraged me to do this, like out loud. Hey, hey fear, what, what do you need? What, what do you want from me right now? Okay, I, I hear you. Now sell on. You can go away. Thank you. You're saying I need affection. I need acceptance. Thank you. I need to be told that I am not wrong. I am loved. Thank you. And then we go to the source, ultimately, who is God, as it turns out, just like the disciples did. They went from being afraid of this thing approaching them to wanting this person in the boat with them. So fear is wrong. A lot of what fear is communicating to us is wrong. As we end up, look at the passage again, verse 20, verses 20 and 21. So they're, this is what's interesting. They're afraid, they're terrified of the very thing that they most need. Whoever is approaching on the water toward them, fear told them, well, lie to them. This is danger. This is potentially something that will kill you. You need to panic. But as it turns out, what was approaching was love. Love incarnate. Love embodied was approaching. They were frightened at love, which is who God is. In verse 20, Jesus shows up, and in the Greek, it's ego emi. In the Greek, it is I is what Jesus says, which is a nod, an intentional nod to the personal covenant name of God, I am. So what they were afraid of, once they actually encountered it, was I am. And immediately they go from being terrified of this thing to saying, okay, yeah, yeah, we need that. Get in the boat with us. Because God is love. God is not danger contrary to what you may think. And so in verse 21, there's maybe a miracle that happens, or at the very least, it's a mystical experience where they, they, their fears are completely gone once God is in the boat with them, and they immediately get to where they're intending to go. Have you ever been in a, a place where you get so enraptured you lose sight of time? kind of forget time altogether. At least that's happened here. The thing that they were most afraid of is the very thing they needed. And once they encountered this one, 
They were enraptured. Okay, last story. I'm sorry this is a bit long. Um, sometimes they're the very things we fear, like I said, are the things that we need. And, and I have a living, breathing example of this um, with this 17-year-old with this boy sitting next to Jimmy over here who I once thought was danger coming to me. Um, and y'all have these stories too where particularly, this is, the way, this is the way I was processing it. I was at a stage in my life, and I'm the type of person, you may be this way too, you're always waiting for the other shoe to drop. Anybody else feel that way? You're always waiting. You don't know how to handle things that are good. Like you're in a good season and you don't know what to do. And you're just like dreading the next, the shoe to drop. You're like, surely something it's about to get really bad. Um, so I was kind of in a season like that. And, and I was thinking to myself, you know, I'm, you know, married and have a, this beautiful daughter and kind of lived a pretty charmed life. And I know the shoe's about to drop. I know that suffering is coming. And sure enough, one day, knock on the door metaphorically and what I thought was the grim reaper that I was terrified of turned out to be the very one that I needed it turned out to be life for me continues to be life for me for others too I used to know I, I, I to be honest I didn't always think this way but I got to the point where I actually, the very thing I used to be afraid of, suffering, I began to realize I, I sort of in a way wanted because it produced <laughs> this one that I want and need in the boat with me desperately. The thing that we most fear oftentimes is the very thing that we need. So Jesus, what is good? What's good about the gospel as it relates to this passage? This is really what I'm saying. If you've heard nothing else, please hear this. The good news of the gospel is that we are always and only in a no-lose situation. Ross is in the very palm of God's hand here in Asheville, North Carolina. So is Amanda. When Ross goes away, guess what? still going to be in the very palm of God's hand. Circumstances aren't going to change. The gospel proclaims that because of the truth of that good news, we are always, it doesn't seem this way, but the reality of the unseen world is that we are always in a no-lose situation. We think it's a no-win situation. It's a, just the opposite. It's a win-win. The gospel tells us it's a win-win always in the end. It's a win when this is the good news, therefore there is nothing to fear. Be not afraid. No matter what comes in the end, we win. <laughs> Again, this is the bold claim of the gospel. You can do with it what, what you want. The Richard War moment for the day is this. This comes from the book that some of us are reading, The Universal Christ, uh, in the chapter Resurrection Journey. Jimmy pointed this out. And, and I've, it's, it's really hung on to me too, Jimmy, so thank you. The beginning of that chapter, there's a quote from the ex, um, exotic mar, best exotic marigold hotel. Anybody seen that movie? That's what I've heard. I've not seen it. But I love this line. Listen to this line, and I promise I'm over. I'm done. This is the line. Everything will be all right in the end. If it's not all right, 
it is not yet the end. That's the story of your life. Let's pray. And mine. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for that good news that has been proclaimed. And I pray, Holy Spirit, now that you would do a, work a miracle in us so that we would be able to put our ego or our fears or whatever we're distracted with right now into the back seat and really this week perhaps meditate, contemplate this good news that we are always in a no-lose situation, that we're always in the palm of your hand, that you are in the boat with us right now. So there's nothing to fear. Help us to believe that. In Jesus' name, amen.